Father, we need you today. More than any other day, we need you. And people, we are here, Lord, before you with, with needs, with hurts, with pain, with fears. And in all those, you want to meet us today, Lord. So meet us. We look at your word. Would you guide us to that place of peace and trust in you? We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Everyone said I spent the day yesterday at the North Battleford Psychiatric Hospital, and uh, they were unable to help me, actually. <laughs> it was actually an auction sale, but I, I was there. I, I, I wandered up and down the halls of that, of that place. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's kind of on the river in, in Battleford. It's a very interesting um, historical place, and as I walked up and down the halls and looked at random junk and, you know, hundreds of desks, hundreds of filing cabinets and other interesting things. There actually was in one room, the museum room had this, this shock little box that they used for, you know, electroshock therapy, you know, and so, um, you know, I thought that might be kind of fun, you know, to have around your house just as a, a toy, you know, you know, kids can come over, you know, but you, know, you farmers, you know that, you, you don't, you know, you use that as a therapy for your kids, right? You say, hey kids, go check out that, that fence is hot. What do you mean, dad? You know, and you, you know, get the shocked and but, you know, back then they, they did weird stuff. And so you wondered what stories these walls could tell. And literally, it's a labyrinth of hallways and rooms and buildings. And the one room had like one of those slots, you know, where you slide the tray in, you know. And, and you wonder, you know, what, what, what went on here? And, of course, you know, as you come to the, the nation of Israel and the property of Israel today, and if you were to look at the pictures or visit there, as some of you have, we, we have as well, uh, you, you walk those hills and you wonder, what stories could these hills tell? And the good thing is, is actually we have several historians that wrote documents in the first century outlining for us what happened on those hills. And Matthew is one of these historians. He wrote this, this book, we call it a gospel, and he, he accounts some of the, the, the stories of Jesus' life. What actually happened on those hills? He, he talks about Jesus getting baptized. He said, here is Jesus, the, the unique Son of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, present in his baptism. And he's, he's, he's the beloved Son of God who, with whom God is well pleased. Matthew records for us how Jesus is taken to the wilderness and tempted there. And he's, he is the Son of Man who overcomes temptation with the very resource of the Word of God. And then Matthew tells us that he's going around the region and every one hears about it and they're following him from all over and he's healing and then he goes up the mountain and he preaches this sermon Matthew 5 to 7 we call it the sermon on the mount and, and, he, and he, he preaches in such a dynamic way that everyone at the end is like wow and it says there of Matthew 7 right at the end verse 28 it says when Jesus had finished saying these things the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes like, man, this guy, he's, he actually believes in what he's saying. He doesn't need to, you know, quote 50 scribes. He actually, he, you know, he, he's just giving it to us straight and, and, and straight up. And it's, it, it, it's, it was totally different than anything they'd have experienced. And Matthew would like us to, to consider following Jesus. 
the reality is, is that you follow someone or something every day in your life. Every thing that you do is an expression of followership. You, you understand that, right? I mean, a, a child grows up and begins to follow his parent or, or her mother. They may even dress like, like mom and, and like dad and, and walk like dad. And, and, and sometimes they, they catch on good habits. Sometimes they catch on bad habits, right? And, and this is what we all follow someone. The clothes you put on today, you put on because someone somewhere decided that those were good things to wear. No one here made their own clothes from their own wool, from their own style, from their own fashion. We all are following someone by putting on the clothes that we're wearing today. There are different philosophies that we follow in life. Uh, it could be something as simple as, as uh, you know, some pantheism, right, where God is in everything, right? And so people go skiing and they go camping and they go fishing because when I'm out on the lake, I just feel like God is, is there. And, and, and you know, he's, he's in, you know, in the lake and in the fish and in the trees. And it's just all, you know, God is all, you know. And, and, and some people follow that type of a, a philosophy. Others follow a, a materialistic philosophy like, like, you know what, pursue materialism, pursue money, pursue things, and then you'll be happy. And so the more I get, the happier I'm getting. And, and, and they try and they try and they try. And they seek to follow that philosophy. I remember doing a, an in-house dedication for a family. And I do this sometimes. Uh, you know, family doesn't go to church, but like, yeah, we just had a baby. We think we should do something. Would you come over and do something? I'm like, of course I'll come over and do that. I believe children are a gift from God. I'm going to tell, you know, that, that's, that's the whole platform. And so I come, and I, this child is God's gift to your family. And Jesus Christ loved the children. I, you know, I use that as an opportunity to, to kind of present the gospel. Well, here I am in this, fa- this house, uh, about a half-million-dollar house in Airdrie. In the backyard, there's probably a five, $6,000 play center there. There's a brand-new RV out front, new vehicles, big screen TV. I mean, granite countertops, everything. And there's this mom, this little six-month-old, and she's like, yeah, I'm going back to work in a month. I don't really want to. I'm really enjoying the baby time. But I have to do this for the kids. It, it's, you know, I, I'm working so that we can have these things so that, so that my kids can be happy and have what they need in life. But you can tell me, she's telling me this stuff because she's following this philosophy, but her heart is telling her something totally different. She's like, I'm wired to be at home and, and to nurture this child, but the, the philosophy we're following says, I need the RV, I need the big house, I need the granite countertops, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. And so in order to do that, i got to keep working. When her heart is screaming, just be a mom. See, we follow something somewhere. Everything you do, you're following someone's philosophy. You kids at school, you know, like someone shows up and, and he or she is cool and you follow them and they do this and you follow them, right? Hey, all the kids used to gather when I was a teenager kind of in one central location and some leader in that group would say, hey, let's go to this pit with a bunch of pallets and light a fire and drink beer around the, the, the pit, you know, the fire and, and, the, and, and everyone kind of followed them. Why? Because that's what you did, right? And you kind of follow. We're following someone. Matthew comes along and says, I would like you to consider following Jesus. Stepping outside whatever track you're running in and step into this track because there is something about Jesus that no one else, nothing else can offer you. And we're entering into this chapter, Matthew chapter 8. In the beginning of chapter 9, and there's the succession of stories here is remarkable. 
Matthew's going to give us several snapshots, and I'm, I'm working ahead in my study, and I just, I'm getting excited about what's coming up, but I've got to get, kind of get back to this one. And, but man, as we move forward, by the time we get to the end, you're going to say, wow, there is no one like Jesus. No one. So if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen too. We're going to follow Matthew chapter 8. Matthew's going to say, would you consider following Jesus? And here's a good reason why. Look what Jesus can do. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. This kind of sets the scene for the story that follows, but we're going to just take a quick glance at this. Matthew 8, verse 1. Uh, when he came down the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I'm willing to be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. He's coming down the mountain. Obviously, the crowd is far enough behind that maybe they don't catch this interchange, but this is a leper. This is, this is you know, Jewish territory. Lepers were unclean. According to the law in the Old Testament, Moses, Mosaic law, you didn't go near a leper. If you were leprous, you had to tell people, hey, I'm a leper. Watch out. Stay away from me. I mean, there was a, a physical barrier. There was a cultural barrier, a religious barrier here. Leprosy was just weird skin diseases, right, where you lose the nerve feeling on your hands. So it's not that leprosy itself would, would cause you to die, but you, you couldn't feel stuff. So you'd cut yourself, and you didn't know you cut yourself, and that thing would get infected, and then it would start to become a sore, and, and you know, it would become other kind of infections, and it was just a, a gross, painful, ostracizing disease. You couldn't hide it. I mean, leprosy is, is a picture of sin in the Bible. Most of us, we, we hide our sin. It kind of, we, we put up, you know, kind of nice veneer on the outside, but it's sort of on the inside. But with leprosy, you couldn't hide it. And most people kind of steered clear around the leper. We have those people in our world, don't we? You know, just don't talk to those people. You know, stay away from those, those kind of people. Let's just stay out of this neighborhood, you know. Stay away from those kids at school. You know, we, we kind of, we, 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 we create our, our this class distinctions. And, and Jesus is walking down the hill, and he walks right into this man, and he has this encounter with him. The guy comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. No one else could. Obviously, the Mosaic Law had led him down at this point. And the question is, you know, is Jesus willing? Does Jesus care about lepers? And not only does Jesus show his willingness and his care, but he does the unthinkable in this story. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him. This could have been the first time that a clean person had touched this man in years. Touches him. You didn't touch lepers. See, if I, if I touched the leper as a Jew, I became ceremonially unclean for at least seven days and had to go through a ritual to become clean again and, and all this stuff. Jesus reaches out and touches the unclean man. If Jews had been watching this closely, they'd be like, whoa, what are you doing, Jesus? Don't touch that guy. He touches him, and what happens is remarkable because normally the uncleanness of the leper would pass on to the clean person, but in this case, the cleanness of, the, of Jesus passes on to the leper. It's reverse. It's like, Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Who is this man? Jesus touches lepers. He reaches out to people who have been ostracized, who visibly are, are, are different than everyone else, and he brings 
a healing touch to their lives. Some of you maybe feel like lepers. Maybe you don't wear it on the outside, but you feel it on the inside. You walk around with the guilt of your past. And you, and you just, you can't get it off your back. It's always there. It's like a big wart that just grows on your back. And, and it, you know, no one sees it but you. No one feels it but you. But you feel it. You're like, man, I'm just, I'm just an unclean, impure person. I've done these things. I'm never going to get over it. And Jesus actually wants to reach into your life and touch you and make you clean. He wants to associate with your sinfulness, with your uncleanness, and bring his cleanness, his purity, his righteousness into your life. This is the Jesus that Matthew is introducing us to. Why wouldn't you want to follow a guy like that? Who wouldn't follow someone like that? You mean, you, he can take all my stuff and, and, and bring cleansing and healing to my life? Absolutely. Well, from this outsider, we come to the story we really want to focus on today, and that's in verse 5. It says, He entered Capernaum, and a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. Capernaum is this beautiful city on the Sea of Galilee, established there as kind of a Roman outpost of sorts. It was a Jewish city. Uh, Luke tells us that this man actually was a respected man within the city, even though he was a Roman, that, that he helped them build their, their synagogue. He, he established a fair and a, and a just rule. If you go to Capernaum today and you look at the archaeological excavation, what you'll discover is that there's no great discrepancy in size of, of dwelling in Capernaum. What that tells you is the local Roman rulership was not taking advantage of the local people. He lived like one of them. So Luke tells us, Matthew doesn't give us that background information. Luke tells us this guy actually was, was a friend to the Jews, was sympathetic to the Jews, and lived in peace amongst the Jews. But this man has a problem. He's got this servant who's sick. The odd thing about this story is this, that in, in, in the first century, if you had a slave that got sick, I mean, you took him to the slave market and sold him, right? It's kind of like, you know, a, a sick cow, or, you know, you, you, you ship it down to the market, get rid of it, you know, and, and you know, it, it was just property in the, in the first century. Slaves were just common property, but this guy actually cares about his servant. He actually uses a different term for servant here because it, it's more than a servant. It's like a family member to him. And he comes to Jesus and recognizes him as, as Lord. This title he uses is, is a term of, of respect and honor. My servant is at home paralyzed, lying at home. He's in terrible pain. He obviously is looking for Jesus to help him and his servant in this situation. He could have come now as the ro local authority and said, Yo, Rabbi, you need to come and fix this problem with my servant right now because I'm the Roman ruler in charge here. But he, you know, he comes, he's like, look, look, I got a serious problem, Jesus. And Jesus responds to him. In verse 7, he says, uh, this is the Net Bible. I'm going to read it from the CSB. It could be translated, I will come and heal him. Or am I to come and heal him? Or the question might be, you want me to come heal him? The I actually is emphatic in the verse. Am I? Jesus? Me? Is this what's going to do it? I mean, some people would put faith in, in different type of rituals or, or you know, <laughs> magical formulas that healers would go through. And, but Jesus is asking, look, look, are you looking for something, you know, on, on the outside or are you looking for me to make a difference in this circumstance? Jesus is suggesting something very odd here. 
He is asking this centurion, this Gentile, this Roman, this non-Jew, do you want me to come to your house and take care of this situation? Now, all these people in Capernaum, all these Jews would be like, what is this? What kind of Jewish teacher would do this? You don't step into a, a Gentile house. You don't eat with Gentiles. You don't associate with them. I mean, you, you know, you, you cross paths with them, but I mean, there's a point where you draw a line and say, no, we are the people of God, and, and we separate ourselves. We, we were in an Orthodox community, Jewish community in, in Galilee there, and, and they actually have gates they lock on the Sabbath. People don't drive in the neighborhood on, on the Sabbath, and and this guy, you know, showed us kind of the first century way they used to make cheese and all this stuff. But, but you know, when, when we sat down and ate, he did not sit down and eat with us. His family was not there with us. He would not help or put his hands on a, on a woman to even to, to help her, you know, because there was a separation there. Do you want me to come to your place? And the centurion responds and he says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you. Come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes to that another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Just say the word. I, I'm not worthy. I mean, you, you don't have to come now. In, in Luke's gospel, we actually, this exchange doesn't occur face to face. The centurion is, is sending an emissary. The emissary is coming back, and, and he's on his way to that guy's house, and then they stop him and say, no, 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 you don't need to come. Just say the word. The centurion's like, I get this. This is my whole life. I live under authority. Uh, a commander gives a com- you know, the, the general author- you know, a command, and it comes down to the lieutenant, and it comes down to the, to, the, to the regional magistrate, and then it comes down to me, the centurion, and I pass it on to my soldiers. I get it. We follow the highest command, and, and right down to the, to the last soldier, the private, it, it's done. You have connections with the throne room of heaven. And you can intervene in this situation. All you have to do is say the word. We were just singing about that, right? God speaks and boom, the world comes into existence. You can handle this tiny situation. Just say, I don't, I don't need you. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Remarkable. Hearing this, it says in verse 10, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. (laughs) I've not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. There's no one. He's surrounded by Jewish people and he says, Wow, here I am. I mean, I've I've encountered a a leper with faith and now I'm encountering this, this foreigner with faith. And they believe that I'm able to do something in their lives. And as a result, they experience the power of God in their lives because they believe in me. What a faith. And he does this little side discussion here in Matthew. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's like, whoa. Jesus has given a pretty serious sermon here, but what he's saying is, is this. The Jews anticipated this messianic banquet, and the messianic banquet was, was basically a victory banquet where the Jews got down together and they celebrated and they went, no, 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 to everyone who wasn't Jewish. See, you've, you've persecuted us, you've oppressed us all these years, and now you're getting what you deserve. The Messiah is here, and we are 
established and we're ruling and we are, you know, the kings of the earth now because of our king. And Jesus says, actually, the Messianic banquet's going to look a little different than that. Outsiders are going to be sitting at the table. Non-Jews will be eating with Jesus, the Messiah. But the sons of the kingdom, people born into it, but not embracing the faith, they're going to be on the outside in this place of torment, of pain, of agony and isolation, described here as weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, I don't know if you're a teeth grinder. That's not a nice thing. <coughs> you know, if you grind your teeth at night, you wake up, you're like, ah, oh, it doesn't feel good. You know I mean? That's, it's, it's that sort of like, you know, there's going to be this, this angst because you missed out on the banquet. But he's like, you, you'll be surprised who shows up at the banquet, Jesus says. Sometimes we think that our rituals bring us into the banquet. I grew up a, a Baptist, right? So, of course, all Baptists are going to heaven, right? <laughs> Maybe not, you know. I'm a Pentecostal. You know, I, I grew up as an Anglican. I'm a Catholic. Uh, you know, I'm an Orthodox. Whatever title you may claim, right? I was born into that. My parents did some ritual on my behalf, and so I'm in. And, and Jesus is like, let's just cut through all that. The reality is this great banquet's going to come, but the people that think they're in just by virtue of their genealogy or their heritage may find themselves on the outside. And Matthew kind of writes this to say, look, guys, it's not enough to say, well, I'm Jewish, so therefore I'm God's special people and I'm in. Jesus is saying, the true Jew embraces the Jewish Messiah, and I am the Jewish Messiah. But not only that, the true person of faith embraces the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, everyone. And that banquet is open, and it's, it's, it's an open invitation to all who would receive Christ are welcome to this banquet. And then in verse 13, it says, Jesus told the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. Jesus just says the word, boom. You notice the difference here? Uh, at the first, in, in the first story, Jesus touches the leper. Boom, he's healed. Here he just says it. Go, it's done as you've asked, as you believed, and it's done. Remarkable. Done. The problem with following anything else but Jesus is that it always kind of leaves you hanging. I went for coffee a couple weeks ago and I uh, at a place that has this contest where you can you know roll up you know a, a rim. I'm not going to mention the name of the restaurant but uh, I think you know what I'm talking about. So at the end I roll the rim here it is and it says a $50 tin card. So I tear off, I tear this off, and, and as the coffee is done, my, my buddy, my friend's leaving, I, I go up there and say, yeah, I'd like my $50 Tim card, and, and she's like, oh, well, you have to fill out this form, <laughs> with a skill-testing question, of course, <laughs> and, um, and then she informs me, well, I'm just a supervisor, I don't, I don't have the authority to actually give you this card today, so your, my manager has to be in. I come back. Two days later, the manager's still not in. So I, I finally show up this Wednesday. And the manager comes out after about five minutes, and, and, I, and I, I show her. I'm like, I'm here to redeem this. And she looks at it, and she says, oh, there's no code on it. There's no code on it. I mean, like, so anyway, just, just future note for any of you out there, you know, if you, if you win anything big, you know, keep the whole cup, you know. Uh, 
you know, get a lawyer to verify that it was you and, you know, you know get some uh, forensic evidence, you know, DNA test, you know, make sure you, you get the whole thing, you know, because, uh, you know, and I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I, I don't have authority. There's, there's no code. I can't, I, can't, I can't redeem that prize for you. She's like, well, you could maybe mail it to Tim Hortons. <laughs> In which case, like, you know, I mean, I, anyway, isn't that life, though? You follow the wrong thing, and you get to the point where you're ready to redeem your prize, and like, oh, we can't do it for you. We don't have the authority. You know, like you think, okay, well, I, I did this, and I, and I followed this path, and I get to the end. Okay, now give me, you know, give me my reward, joy, peace, happiness. And you're like, like oh, well, actually, we can't really supply that for you. We don't have the authority to give that to you. And you're, you're like, man, how come? I, I've got the money. I've, I've got, you know, I've, I'm in shape. I've, I've got my family and my kids, and I've got the, my career, and I've got this, and I've got that. But, but I'm, I'm still not able to get what I really want out of life. It's because you're missing the foundation. You're never going to find it here. But anything else you follow is like randomly going around and rolling up rims hoping to find the big prize. And you don't find it in life. It's not there. Family, marriage, relationship, sex, money, you know, education, you know, I'm, I'm pleasure, I'm, you know, a, a new slad, you know, a, a new hair color, you know, new hair, you know, whatever it is, right? You know, less fat, whatever it is, right? You're like, okay, maybe this one is going to pay for me, and it doesn't. And in Jesus Christ, this centurion encounters a person, the one person who has the authority to change his situation. And this story will be replayed throughout Matthew chapter 8 in different ways, with different people, in different situations. But it's the same story. Jesus Christ has the power to make a difference, to change lives forever. And in this case, he just speaks the word, and because he has the authority from heaven, it's done. Like, why wouldn't you, I mean, who wouldn't want to follow a person like that? This is Jesus. But you can go around, tearing, you know, rolling rims up, trying to find the answers to life, and Matthew tells us, here is the answer. Jesus Christ. You don't need to follow that girl at school that thinks she's popular, or that guy or that group that thinks they're cool. Let me tell you, young people, in 20 years, you'll see the cool people, (laughs) and you'll see where that path ends. I can remember going to the McDonald's in my hometown and seeing some of the cool guys hanging out there. I'm like, so that's where the path ended. Deadbeats hanging out at McDonald's. That's the cool path in life. You know, take your pick to a prison. Some of the guys that I graduated with got got drunk and got in an accident, and one of the girls in the car got killed because... That path led to that destination. Another guy jumped off the cliff in Grand Forks because he just had no hope in life. And his dad worked at the college, and they had this funeral without any God mentioned. And, and he just was so empty that he just, that there's so many rims rolled down, he just figured it wasn't worth it. And he got stoned, crawled up to the top of the, devil, of the rattlesnake point there and jumped off and, you know, and killed himself. And, and why? Because they keep rolling up rims, and it's not working. Here it is. Jesus. Today is St. Patrick's Day. 
course, for most people, this is an excuse to go and find an Irish pub and wear green and, and drink green beer, right? That, that's St. That's Patrick's Day, right? But actually, St. Patrick was a significant saint in, 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 in Ireland, and there's lots of legends about him, but basically the, the root of it was he was captured by pirates, brought back to Ireland, and worked, you know, in the, in the, I was a shepherd out in the hills and spent a lot of time praying and finally escaped back to his, his homeland. But as he was there, God spoke to him and said, you need to go back to Ireland as a missionary, Patrick. So he got trained and he went back. And just village to village, town to town, he preached the message of Christ. In the face of paganism and witchcraft and druids and sorcery and all sorts of animism and weird kind of fairies and imps and all that stuff that was going on there, he walked in there with the message of Christ. There's legendary tales told about him and snakes and all this stuff. I, I'm not going down that path, but the point of the matter is he left an impression in this country. Everywhere you go now, you'll see signs. I mean, that, this Celtic cross is, is Patrick's kind of thing. He, he had a prayer, and, and in this prayer, he, he talks about Christ. And so as we close today, I wanted to just read the prayer of St. Patrick. And it, it's just, I want you just to listen and, and think of this, but also think about your life. What are you following? Where does that path lead? And would you consider following Christ? And if you are following Christ, it's like, do I need to reorient my life? Do I need to reorient my thinking? Do I need to get, you know, get off the track that I've kind of, because even as a Christ follower, I can get sucked into materialism or, <coughs> you know, uh, the pursuit of pleasure, hedonism, or whatever it is, and materialism, and, and we need to kind of step back from that and say, am I just following Christ with everything that I have? And so I want to just sanctify St. Patrick's Day today by reading the prayer of St. Patrick as we close. The team can come up. They're going to lead us in a song as we close here. But listen to the prayer of St. Patrick. I rise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through a belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness, of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth and his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion and his burial, through the strength of his resurrection and ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through the strength of the love of cherubim and the obedience of angels and the service of archangels, in the hope of resurrection to meet with reward, in the prayers of patriarchs and the preaching of the apostles, in the faith of confessors, in innocence of virgins, in deeds of righteous men, I arise today through the strength of heaven, light of the sun, splendor of fire, speed of lightning, swiftness of the wind, depth of the sea, stability of the earth, firmness of the rock, I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from the snares of the devil, from temptation of vices, from everyone who desires me ill, afar and anear, alone or in a multitude. I summon today all these powers between me and evil, against every cruel and merciless power that opposes my body and soul, against incantations of false prophets, against black laws of pagandom, against false laws of heretics, against craft of idolatry, against spells of women and smiths and wizards, against every knowledge that corrupts man's body and soul, Christ shield me today against poison 
against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that reward may come to me in abundance. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me. Christ in the ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through a confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Our God, I pray that you would make Christ our all in all here this morning. Guide us to follow him and him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? What?